Good morning. My name is Brian Shreas. I have the privilege of serving here at Fellowship as the uh, family pastor, but it's an honor to get to be with you this morning as we continue our study in the book of John. And so if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to John 17, where we will be spending the entirety of our morning in John 17. John 17 is a weighty chapter. It's a heavy chapter. And it's a heavy chapter because we get an intimate glimpse into the heart of our Savior. The entire chapter 17 is a prayer from the Son to the Father where He is just pouring out His heart before His loving Father. And He's asking for some things. And so it's a, it's a heavy prayer. We see Jesus at His most real. We see the depth that He is. But every time I read of John 17, I can't help but think of my grandmother. Now, in no way do I believe my grandmother is Jesus. But she loved him very, very dearly. And some of, some of the best memories I have of my grandmother, I remember her reading her word. I remember her praying. I remember her gathering up all the neighborhood children and taking along her, her little grandson to make sure we all got to church and make sure we all got to BBS because she wanted us to know more than anything else her Savior. She cared about everyone in her circle of friends, in her community. She cared about people in the church. She was always taking meals. She was always going and visiting sick. She was always praying for people over the phone. I have such clear memories of my grandmother. And when she passed away the day after my 18th birthday, I was um, humbled when my grandfather asked us or asked me to speak at my grandmother's funeral. And I quickly went from humbled to scared because I had never spoken in front of anyone before and I had no idea what I was going to say. But in my own reading of the Gospel of John, I read John 17 and I just couldn't stop thinking about my grandmother. Because it was about that same time we started going through her things, that practice of going through the things of our loved ones after they pass. And we found journal after journal after journal of her reflections in God's Word Journal after journal after pr- of prayers that she prayed for her family, of prayers that she prayed for the people in her church, or her kids and her grandkids, and people that she knew really well, and people she didn't know at all. And she was just such a woman of depth. I can remember at an early age wanting to be just like her. But I know that I wanted to be just like her because she was trying to be just like her Savior. And that's what we're going to read about here in John 17 today. I pray that you will, or I ask that you follow with me as we read 17, 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In these first five verses, Jesus is praying for his own glorification. 
And as you read through the book of John, that might seem a little bit odd because it seems like in John, he's constantly pointing to the Father. He's not pointing to himself. He's not, he's not trying to get everyone to look at him. He's trying to get everyone to look at the Father. And Because he, he says that in verse 1. He says, glorify your Son. Verse 5, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And that word glory there, and glorify, what he is asking for is to be clothed with splendor, to be in the presence of majesty. He wants to go back to be with his Father. He wants that relationship that they had before the world existed. He is looking to go back there. And the question we have to ask is why? Well, he says here in 17.1, Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Jesus is praying for his own glory so that he can give the glory right back to the Father. And it is in this prayer that we see the depth of the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. The depth of relationship that he has with the Father. Because the Father is asking him to do things and he is saying, yes, I'm going to obey. We get a glimpse of this in verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. The work that he was given to do was to make the Father known to the disciples. He had done that. And now he had another task. Because when the Son prays, glorify the Son, what he is really asking for is give me the cross. He's saying, give me the cross because before I can go back to you, before we can have that relationship the way it once was, some things have to happen here on earth. There must be an arrest and a trial and a death and a burial and a resurrection. So for Jesus to even utter the words, I want to go back to that glory that I had in your presence, he is asking for the cross because he wants to obey his Father because of the depth of relationship they have. That's because for Jesus, he cared more about sacrificial living than personal gain. He cared more about sacrificial living than personal gain. We saw this very early in his ministry when the devil tried to attack him when he was in the wilderness, when he was out fasting and relating to his father. The devil came and said, I will give you all that you can see, all the kingdoms of the earth, all the power, all the prestige, everything you could ever want. You can have it. You said, no. My work is to do the will of the one who sent me. I am going to obey my Father in all things. It's not about me. It's not about me achieving these things, me having these things. It's about me obeying my Father. As we see in the coming chapters, Jesus obeys his Father to the point of death. Death on a cross. You see, his depth of relationship with the Father was so great that he said, I am willing to give it all for you. I am willing to lose my life in obedience for you. And that's because obedience is more important to Jesus than comfort. Obedience is more important to Jesus than comfort. He could have all the comfort he wants. He could call down angels at any given point and they could give him whatever he asked and he neglected his own comfort out of obedience to the Father. He was going to take the cross. He was going to do the work that he had been called to. That leads us to have to wrestle with some things this morning. 
Is our care and concern about our relationship with the Father through the Son to the point where we are willing to give it all for Him? You see, this world is constantly, this world is constantly demanding your time and asking for things. It's asking for your best. So that you can achieve in the world of academics or the world of athletics or in the world of business and the world of careers and money and power and prestige. It's asking for all of these things. And the Bible is calling us to pursue Christ. We only have so much that we can give. So I believe this passage is asking us, when it comes to our spiritual lives, are we going to pursue Christ are we going to attend church? Because they're not the same. I can pursue Christ. I can run hard after Him. I can follow Him in His Word. I can be with His people. I can come and I can serve and I can give and I can do all these things and I can pursue my relationship with Christ and make that my priority. Or we can attend and we can sit in and we can attend church and check that box and that can be our spiritual life. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, there's times where we have done both. But I believe what this passage is calling us to is seeing the example of our Savior, how our Savior was willing to risk it all, was willing to give it all, so that He could please His Father. So the question for us is this. Are we willing to lay down our lives? Are we willing to lay down our lives for the glory of the Father through the Son? Are we willing to give whatever He may ask of us, to lay aside whatever He may ask of us, so that He could be greater, so that He could be more known and more famous? Jesus continues with this prayer, though. He continues in verse 6. Read with me. He said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given, who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And that they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. John, six through ni- John 17, 6-19, through 19, Jesus is praying for His disciples. Jesus is praying for those who He has spent the most time with over the last three years. But even as He's praying for His disciples, do you see the depth of relationship He has with the Father? He's saying, I have done your work. I have done the things. I have given them the words that I'm supposed to. All of these that you have given me, all of them, they are still yours. Awesome is that. So often when, when God gives us something, when He gives us a talent, when He gives us you know, some blessing, we want to take it and we want to hide it. We want to make sure we can keep it. We want to make sure we know what it is. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. All that you have given me is still yours. I just want to take care of it and use it well. Feel free to do what you will. Now He says, when I say he, He's holding them with an open hand, He's not holding them with an open hand where anyone can come and take them but to the Father. 
He's saying, what you have given me is still yours. Only in a relationship where there is a level of depth and a level of trust can we look at someone and say, all that you have given me is still yours. But Jesus continues to pray. He says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Now Jesus isn't speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He just knows what reality is. He knows that he is still in the world right now, but he is not going to be here very much longer because he knows what's coming. He knows that he is going to die and resurrect and ascend. He knows that in a very, very short amount of time, he is not going to be with them anymore, but they will still be here. Verse verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus kept them and protected them as he did his ministry, except for the one, Judas. By now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. Such an important verse. It is all that Jesus has done with his disciples. He has given them God's word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And this prayer for his disciples, it shows Jesus' depth of relationship with his inner circle. The ones that he has walked the streets with for three years. The ones who he has seen every high and every low. Every low, He has seen them at their best. He has seen them at their worst. He has seen them through thick and thin. And he is praying for them the things that matter. He is praying that they will continue in God's word. He is praying that they will continue in ministry. And in these next four verses, we are going to see some specific prayers that he had for his people. Verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew he was going to be with the Father. And he was going to return to that glory that they once had. But he didn't pray for his disciples to come with him. He prayed that they would stay here. Evidently, they had something they needed to do. But if you remember last week when we talked about the Holy Spirit, Jesus said a startling phrase to them. He said, it is better for you that I leave. It is better for you that I go because if I go, I'm going to send the Spirit and the Spirit will be with you and He will empower you with everything that you need. He will remind you of my words. He will give you me. It will be better for you to have that. And so while he was praying for them to remain in the world, he knew what that meant. And he also knew what was at stake. Because he finishes remain at the world with, protect them from the evil one. Jesus knew the evil one. Jesus knew the capability and the drive and the trials and temptations that they were going to face as they walked this life with the Spirit. And Jesus prayed to his Father. And he wrestled with his Father. Keep them from the evil one. Allow them to do the things that we have set them apart to do. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus has accomplished his work. He has shown them the Father. He has helped them move from death to life. From darkness to light. They are new creations. They are no longer... Of the world, though they are still in the world. 
And then verse 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. He wants them to remain in the world, but now he wants them to be prepared. The word sanctify in the book of John is a setting apart. It's a calling out. It's getting them ready, getting them prepared for the life that is to come, getting them the tools that they need, making sure they're equipped. He's saying, sanctify them, Father, for what they're about to do. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. But what is truth? John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is the word? Your word is truth. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus is praying to the Father to give them the Son. Jesus has spent three years teaching them the Word of God, being the Word of God in their very presence. He's saying, as I leave them, keep my words, keep me with them. Give them my strength. Give them my grace. Give them everything of me that you can. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And the Spirit of the living God was going to descend on the disciples, and the disciples were going to remember Jesus' words. If you remember several times in the book of John, it says uh, the disciples, not until later on, put two and two together, and they were able to understand what Jesus had said and done. It's that Spirit who was giving them Christ. And Christ was going to be their preparation for ministry. Then verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus is praying that his disciples will be on mission. He wants them to remain in the world. He wants them to be sanctified in truth. He wants them to remain on mission. Because our God is ascending God. From the time the fall happened, God has been sending people into this world to reveal parts of who He is to different people at different times. And as the story builds and as the story crescends, we have our Savior being sent into the world to redeem all of humanity. And now as He is about to go through that redemption process and He's about to ascend, He is going to send the Spirit into the world to be Him for the disciples. And He is going to send the disciples out. Our God is ascending God. He has been for all time. And now He is sending the disciples out into the world to do ministry. And today He is sending out us still into the world to do His work. And He concludes this section with verse 19. And for the sake, this, their sake I consecrate myself. I am preparing myself and getting myself ready for what is coming, that they may also be sanctified in the truth. You just see Jesus' heart for these people He's done life with. He is praying that they may have true life in the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. He wants them to be engaged in ministry, and He knows for them to be engaged in ministry, there has to be a depth of their relationship with the Father. And so He wants them to be sanctified in the truth. And for us this morning, I believe that we have to wrestle with that same question. What is the depth of our relationship with the Father? I have a quote that I would like to read you this morning. It's from an old American theologian named Jonathan Edwards. And he says this, Our hungerings and thirstings after God and Jesus Christ 
and after holiness can't be too great for the value of these things, for they are things of infinite value. Saying you cannot pursue Christ and God and the things of the Spirit. You can't pursue holiness enough because it is a thing of infinite value. Do you know what is not of infinite value? Mashed potatoes. I could leave here right now and I could go to Golden Corral and I could go to the buffet and I could load up, load up some mashed potatoes, right? And I could just sit there and eat mashed potatoes and eat mashed potatoes and eat mashed potatoes and eat mashed potatoes. You know what's going to happen after a while? I'm going to get sick. Because mashed potatoes are not of infinite value. Mashed potatoes are something that's given to us to eat and, and we eat them and it gives us nutrition and a, a couple hours later we need more nutrition because they're of finite value. They're not going to last But the things of God are infinite. They will last forever. And he wants us to feast on that. He continues in saying, Therefore, endeavor to promote spiritual appetites by laying yourself in the way of allurement. And now you know he didn't live any time around now because no one says in the way of allurement anymore. I want to try to explain the way of allurement. Um, I'm doing so as a man. And so men, you'll probably connect with me really well. Women, try as hard as you can. Okay? When a guy sees a girl that he really wants to talk to, but he doesn't know her, he's never met her, and he knows nothing about her, one thing that he has done before is he tries to set up a way for their paths to meet. Right? And so it would not be a weird conversation. You could try to bump into each other and see how that goes, and maybe a conversation could strike up, and maybe you guys can talk about something after that, but you want to set yourself away to intersect with that person so that you can meet. And that phrase, the way of allurement, that's all that means. He's saying, put yourself in the path of the Holy Spirit. You see, this would be so much easier if I could offer you a package in the lobby and say, go out there and it's 1999 and buy this kit and do these things and you're going to grow and things are going to take off in your life, but it doesn't work that way. There's nothing I can give you that says, do this, this, and this, and you will look like this. So that's not the way the spiritual life works. But the way the spiritual life works is this. You put yourself in the path of allurement. You put yourself in an intersection with the Holy Spirit. Where there are certain things you can do to put yourself in that path. As you spend time in the scriptures, you're putting yourself in that path. As you spend time in prayer, you're putting yourself in that path. As you give, as you serve, as you are one with the body, you are putting yourself in that path. When the Spirit of the living God comes and intersects with you, you will grow. You will grow deeper. It will happen. But we can't make it happen. All we can do is put ourselves in the path of the Holy Spirit. Put yourself in the way of allurement. And he finishes with this. There is no such thing as excess in our taking of this spiritual food. There is no such virtue, virtue as temperance in spiritual feasting. We have all been there where we have all had a meal and we've all overeaten. And you have just a terrible, terrible feeling about how that feels And what Edwards is saying is, you can't overeat. There is not a spiritual appetite that is big enough to conquer the Word of God. You can feast on it, and feast on it, and feast on it, and you will never be satisfied. 
John 6.35 says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger anymore. He will not thirst anymore. And that is absolutely true. When your soul has been satisfied by Christ, it will not long for other things to fill that void in the same way again. But as you enter into the spiritual life, you still will have things that call for your distraction. You will have things that try to eat at your time. And the Word is calling you to come and eat fully and drink deeply. Because you cannot get enough. This sermon series has been paired with a journal reading and small groups going through it. And I don't know about your experience with the L3 journal, but I want to tell you about mine. Whether we're reading three verses or we're reading 23 verses, every single day I go to the text, there is something there to glean. The Word never stops. And if you go to the Word looking for food, you will find it every single time. I believe that's the question that we're being asked. Will you, by the Spirit, indulge in a healthy spiritual appetite? Will you indulge in a spiritual appetite that says, I can't get enough. I want to lay myself in the way of allurement. I want to intersect with the Spirit at every chance I can because I want to grow deeper in my faith like my Savior. Because this prayer is is a high standard. He is our perfect Savior. He is the God-man. We will never achieve the things that He did But Romans also tells us that we are being conformed into the image of the Son. We are being made to look like Christ. And we need to model Him as best we can. We need to take Him on. We need to drink Him in. We need to eat Him up and have more and more of Him in our lives. And Jesus concludes His prayer with 20 through 26. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is now praying for all believers. He's praying for every believer who is to come, which means that day in this room with his disciples, he's praying for you and I if we are believers in Jesus Christ. This is his heart for us. It it demonstrates the depth of his heart for the world. In verse 21 through 23, he has a very specific prayer that he has for us. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. It doesn't really take long to get in those three verses and understand what he's praying for because he says it a lot. He wants us to be one. He wants us to have unity. And sometimes that, that forces us to look in the era that we live 
an era where we all have an equal vote. We all can go to the, the ballot box and we can give our vote. We believe we have the right to be heard. We believe we have freedom of speech to say and think and do the things that we want to do. And we're able to come in buildings and say, I don't like this and I don't like that and I would do this differently and if I was in charge, I would do this. When Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be one. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I don't want you to hear me saying, well, you can't have your own preferences and you can't have your own desires and the things you like and your own opinions. Of course you can. We have all been wired differently by this God. We all think through things different. We experience things different. That is the beauty of the body of Christ, that we are all so different. But the problem is, is when those differences turn into discord when we are willing to trade our love and unity with one another for our preferences and the things that we think are best. When we get to that point, then we're we're ignoring this prayer that the Savior prays for us, that we would be one, that we'd be unified. John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. They will know you by your love. Do we care more about our own preferences, our own opinions, our own desires, or do we care most about doing life as a body together with love and moving on in oneness and in unity? And I think we see here in 24 through 26 why um, Jesus prays this. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, May be, with, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus is praying that all of us may see him in all his glory that we may see Jesus in all his glory. And so I want to take you to a day where we're not going to be here anymore, where we're not going to be on earth. We are going to be in heaven. We are going to see what Jesus prays in verse 5. We are going to see the Son in all his glory, the glory that he had with the Father before the world existed. He is going to be loving the Father, and the Father is going to be loving the Son, and we are going to be at their feet, worshiping them in all their glory. And you and I, if we believe, will be doing this side by side as believers. And we will be there before our God in worship. And you know what's not going to be in our minds when we're there before our God in worship? Our own preferences and the things we ward about here on this earth. And I believe that Jesus' prayer for us as a body of Christ, a universal body of Christ is that we will have that heavenly experience here on earth as much as possible. That I will care more about loving you and serving you than I care about me. That I will care more about you and I'll care more about us being one and unified than I care about my own preferences. That's why it's exciting being at a church like Fellowship, being on a staff team, seeing the elders, seeing volunteers, seeing a church that is getting on the same page and is heading in a direction and is unified. Because a church that is heading in the same direction and is unified and is looking to see Christ in all his glory can't be stopped. We will turn this community on its head. 
Because nothing can stand against Christ's church. But when we turn inward and we start attacking one another and we start saying, no, 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 I care about my own desires more than I care about loving and protecting and serving you, the church that does that is going to fall on itself because it can't stand under the weight of the gospel. Because Christ's greatest prayer for us recorded in Scripture is that we would be one. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is this. Are we willing to lay our preferences aside? Are we willing to lay ourselves down in front of our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we may be one people of God moving on that mission that he has called and sanctified us for? Will we be one? It's a heavy passage. It has nothing to do with me. It's the heart of our Savior that is poured out for us. And is calling us to something deeper. Our society, our culture, everything around us is calling us to the things of this world. Excel in academics. Excel in athletics. Be the best you can be in your career. Achieve this. Achieve that. Earn this. Have this. And it's calling us to give all of our time to divided loyalties. And to spritz ourselves up and sprinkle us in all these different areas of life. And I believe Jesus is calling us this morning to be a people who will live deeply. A people who will lay aside everything in their life so that the Father may receive glory. A people who are willing to indulge in a healthy spiritual appetite because it is the only thing that fills. It is the only thing that satisfies. That we will be a people who are one as He and the Father are one. And I believe that He is praying that prayer for us now. I don't think that this was one prayer that he prayed in a room with the disciples way back when. I believe this is a prayer that he is still, before God, praying for us now. It's called the high priestly prayer, and priests would intercess to God on behalf of the people. And now Jesus is our great high priest, having undergone the sacrifice that he's about to in the next coming chapters. And he is before God, praying for us, pleading with us that he will protect us from the evil one, that we will be sanctified in truth, and that we will be one. And that is why today we can choose to live deeply. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son, and thank you for the example that he is in our lives that we can follow, that we can be a people who care more about you and your desires than anything else. Father, may we live deeply. May we pursue you. May we lay things aside so that we can have more of you in our life because you are the only thing that is true. You're the only thing that matters. You're the only thing that satisfies. In Jesus' name we pray.